Hi, my name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Um, before I jump in this morning, uh, let me start my timer real quick. Before I jump in, I feel like God wants to do something really specific uh, for someone specific this morning. And um, sometimes the way God works is he likes to plant seeds and then water them himself, provide the nutrients that that seed needs himself, and, and, and produce growth and fruit himself. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. Sometimes it takes a moment. And I don't know um, whether or not this is a in the moment, this Sunday kind of massive God thing or whether it's uh, the beginning of something. But I really feel like for somebody, like you feel trapped. You feel trapped. You're in a season where you feel trapped. And I feel like God's gonna, he's gonna show you um, the way out. He's gonna like literally... Um, reveal to you the specifics in your situation. And I think it might just happen this morning. So I want to put that in front of you, maybe plant the seed and see what God wants to do um, in somebody specifically this morning. But yeah, guys, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's a full-on part two, like sequel, but it's a continuation of some of the conversations that we had last Sunday. If you, for whatever reason, uh, missed out on last Sunday, the, the, the message and what we did with the family meeting, highly encourage you, make some time, carve out some time to jump into that because it's so foundational for where we're going as a church. And not just like, oh, cool, in this season, but like really where we're going, where this church is going, hopefully, for at least one generation, if not more. So check that out. We're going to talk kind of a bit about a lot of those things, a lot of these um, I'm going to revisit some of the things that I touched on, specifically around this idea of formation. We talked about discipleship. It's like the point of the church. Um, it is the mission of the church. I shouldn't say that. It's not the point of the church. The point of the church is to enjoy and obey Jesus forever. But it's the mission of the church, commissioned by Jesus himself to make disciples of every nation. Okay? And so when we talk about this idea of formation, that's a huge part of discipleship. Discipleship is being formed into the image of Jesus. Um, so many things are forming you. So many things influence you. So many things have an effect on you. But the point of discipleship to Jesus is to be formed into his likeness, to, to quite literally become like him. That's, that's the goal here. That's the mission, okay? And we talked about a little bit about how like all of us are being formed at all times. There isn't a moment of the day where you aren't being formed, from external sources, all sorts of stuff, okay? Either more into the likeness of Jesus or less into the likeness of Jesus. And we, we introduced this framework for, our, for how we're going to approach spiritual formation, which is discipleship, right? Being formed in the image and the likeness of Jesus. 
And the, the framework that we, that we used, if you remember, is know, be, and do. Okay, what do we want to know, like our beliefs? What do we want to like define as true, as reality? What do we want to know? B is who are we? Who do we want to be? Like an identity piece. And then do. What do we want to know how to do? And we want to give ourselves over to doing regularly. That was our framework. And we're going to live there for, I mean, the rest of our lives, okay? Know, be, and do. What I want to do this morning is I want to flesh this out just a little bit more. Because if you were with us Sunday, like we had a bunch of slides and I had to like fly through them because of just time constraints. And so I I just want to camp out here a little bit more in this specifically like for a mature Christian, what that looks like, what know, be, and do looks like for the mature Christian. I want to flesh this out a bit, um, spend some time on it, okay? So I want to pray before we jump in. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence with us, like we sung this morning, that you really are with us. I pray for anybody in the room who feels numb to that reality, feels numb to your, your nearness, your closeness, your presence with us. Life and busyness and responsibility and all the things have a way of kind of like numbing us to the reality of who you are. And so, Spirit, would you awaken our hearts? Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you point us to Jesus? We genuinely want to be your disciples or we wouldn't be in this room. And so I know that you honor your children's even, you know, baby steps towards, towards walking into the fullness of our purpose that you've created us for. And so teach us, lead us, guide us, bless us. We need you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to be in Romans, primarily maybe in Romans chapter 12 this morning. And we're really going to kind of camp out in two verses. But there's so much richness and depth in these two verses that you kind of almost have to go slow through them. We're not going to go slow enough, but we're going to, we're going to camp out in two verses. So go ahead and flip over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to do verses 1 through 2. I'm in the Christian Standard Bible Translation Um, If you're not, they'll have the words up there for you. Thank you, Harry, for being a servant to all of us. And you too, Scotty, we love you guys. Okay, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one. Therefore, whenever you see that word in the Bible, it literally means that like he's drawn, that the writer is drawing on everything that he's said prior, okay? Prior to this, you have 11 chapters of glory of, of Paul, the apostle, literally outlining the fallenness of humanity and the radical grace of Jesus in the gospel. Okay, so he's saying, and therefore, in light of, in light of the, the, the depravity of man and the gracious intervention of God through Jesus, through his perfect life, his, his death in our place on the cross and his glorious resurrection, in light of that, therefore, brothers and sisters, family language, right? In view of, of the mercies of God, I urge you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. All right, this is one of those passages where there is 
treasure to be <laughs> excavated for days. Okay, there's so much here. What I want to do is I just want to kind of, I want to point out and highlight four things about spiritual formation from this passage. Okay, the first thing is this, if you're taking notes. The life that we live as disciples to Jesus is in response to God's mercy. The life that we as disciples of Jesus, as people who are being formed into his image, as people who are following him, as people who are learning to enjoy him, obey him, and operate like him in every area of life, all of our life as a disciple is in response to God's mercy. Um, That word mercy there in the original Greek, it's been translated to English, okay? That original Greek, mercy, it's it's the Greek word euktirmos, and what it means is it basically, it's like a, it's like basically means compassion. It means compassion and display of concern for another's misfortune. So it involves like both a disposition and a action response. Okay, so it's a display of concern for another's misfortune, compassion. Friends, the mercies of God, Right? Do you realize that God sees you with compassion? Like I'm looking at Andy right now and just the, the hell that this man went through and his family went through in the last little while. And like the reality of like, even in the midst of terrible, awful, a no good, very bad day. What's that book? Um, Alexander, the no good, very, whatever it is. You guys, the moms know. Uh, but in the, even in the midst of those spaces, like that God sees us with compassion and the things that you face in your life. He sees you with compassion, and not just that, but he takes action. And obviously the greatest example is the cross, right? Literally, God acting on our behalf to rescue us from the bondage of sin, the power of death, once and for all, to secure our eternity, right? To defeat death on our behalf so that we could genuinely live with the absence of sin, Satan, and death forever with him, reconciled to him, reconciled to creation. Like in our, in our depravity, in our, in, our, in, our, in our state where we've, like we literally, all of us, have chosen things other than him in his ways. We rejected him in his ways. And even in that space, us being in a really broken, vulnerable, cannot save ourselves, in need of rescue space, that the very one that we reject he looks upon us with compassion and he acts on it by becoming a man and living the perfect life in our place that none of us do or ever could and then taking the punishment that we deserve. You guys know the gospel. The cross is like the greatest example of the compassion of God on display ever, right? Everything, hear me friends, everything in the Christian life, it flows out of a place of God's mercy towards you. And listen, not just like once. Not like he did it at the cross, so he's, okay, I did my part. Like, yes, it's the greatest act of compassion, mercy, grace ever, but he's continuously acting. He's continuously pouring out his mercies. Notice that Paul uses plural language, the mercies of God. It's not a one-time thing. Um, the Bible uses this kind of wild language when talking about God's mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, it uses the language of God being rich in mercy. Go ahead and flip over there really quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Let me read this to you. Again, these are I'm gonna, two more verses that we could just do like a six-week series on. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
just pause for a second and let your mind kind of like, we do eat and speak, you know, like we really try to savor God's word and let it affect us at a deeper level. Like in the same way you would do a wine tasting, you know, you really savor the wine. Taste that reality that God's rich in mercy for just a second. What that means, he's rich in mercy. Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. That's our sins. You are saved by grace. This picture of, hear me guys. I feel the peace of the Lord this morning in a beautiful way. He's rich in mercy. That means he has an excess of mercy towards you. Like, (laughs) that means he has more mercy for you than you could ever need. Like, think about that for a second. And what's crazy is it's not just like a descriptor about, it's like not just something about him. It's who he is. Like, he is merciful. He is rich in mercy towards you. There's this book that I've reread a couple times now in the last year or so. It's called Gentle and Lowly. I've been handing it out to many of you like hotcakes. Um, actually, I just used a phrase, I've been handing out like hotcakes. If anybody knows what that phrase actually means, will you let me know? Because I just said something I have no idea. It's just something that people say. Um, but I've literally passed, I've passed copies of this book out to so many of you. It's top three book in my life. Gentle and Lowly by this guy, Dane Ortland. It is, if you want to just, <laughs> if you want to enjoy who God is, not just the things that you know that he's done and all the, if you want to enjoy who he is, short little chapters, you could read one chapter in like three, four minutes. It's, it's a beautiful book. Check this out. He's talking about this idea of being, God being rich in mercy, referencing this passage in Ephesians. I'm going to read you a quote from this book. As I read this, just remember, okay? Mercy is compassion for another's, disfor- another's misfortune. Okay, compassion for another's misfortune. That's mercy. Listen to this. Quote, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? That means like, whatever, I don't care. I'm just gonna like squander it. Do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we've been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed. Not frugal, but lavish. Not poor, but rich. Listen to this. That God is rich in mercy means that your region that the, yeah, that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. Check this out. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Listen to this. 
our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. End quote. Some of you, we just need to pause and you just need to sit here for a minute. Like, you need to soak in this reality for a little while that he is rich in mercy. And not just ambiguously, he's rich in mercy towards you. And he's rich in mercy towards me. The life we live as, as disciples is in response to his mercy. Okay? A disciple, they, they offer their life to God in response to his mercy. And everything then flows out of that. All right? That's my first point. Second point. You and I have been deformed. We talked about this a little bit last Sunday, but I, I want to reference it some more. You and I have been deformed. Look back at verse 2 in Romans 12. I'm going to read it again. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Okay, when it says do not be conformed to this age, what is he talking about? He's, it, basically what it means is it's, it's like this worldly cultural moment. All right? So the cultural moment that we find ourselves in is different than the cultural moment that his, that the readers, the original readers of Romans would have found themselves in. But do you know it's exactly the same? There's a, there's a theme here and it's, it's, it's the way of the world, right? Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible doesn't contrast heaven and hell. It contrasts heaven and earth. It's a whole nother sermon. I don't have time to get into it. But the way of the world, if he's describing the antithesis of the way of Jesus, okay? So that's what he's talking about here. The, the, the age, the, this cultural moment, the way of the world. Don't be formed into the likeness of the world, is what Paul's saying, right? Resist the way that the world is forming you. That's conform, like you're conforming, right? Resist that. Resist the temptations to just go with the flow of the way of the world. Don't let it conform, or don't be conformed to the way of the world. Um, can you guys keep that video for me? I want to show you guys a helpful video from most of our pasts in this room that pretty much sums this up. Okay? You guys play this for me? You'll recognize it. Where'd all the donkeys come from? Come on, come on, let's have another. And what's your name? Okay, you do. In you go. You, of course, will bring a nice price. <laughs> All right, next. And what might your name be? Alexander. Hmm, so you can talk. Y yes, sir. I want to go home to my mama. Take a back. He can still talk. Jackass? 
sure do. <laughs> hey, you laugh like a donkey. <laughs> Did that come out of me? How intense is that? <laughs> Do you remember it being that as, as intense when you were like seven? I, did, I watched it. I actually, this wasn't in the sermon until this morning. I watched it this morning and I was just like, oh my, this is so heavy, dude. If you remember the story, right? Pinocchio and his friend, they become a donkey as a result of their time spent on, do you remember what the island was called? Pleasure, Pleasure Island. So they go to Pleasure Island, make all these poor choices, right? I don't know if you know this, but the world is deforming you. I mean, let me just, the world has deformed us in many ways. And Paul's saying we all need transformation because we've been deformed into donkeys, spiritually and behaviorally, and with our words, and with our thoughts. Um, Has anybody seen that documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? I want to get a pulse. Keep your hands up, just like like maybe, what, half the room maybe? Okay, if you haven't seen this documentary, can I just encourage you to watch it? Um, Especially, listen to me, if you have older kids, I'm talking like junior high and up, use some discretion, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but like, watch it with them and talk about it. It's, it's basically, it describes how with the best intentions, you know, social media companies and stuff created these really like world-changing technologies, some of them with really good intentions and how over time it really has shifted and they're seeing just how dangerous and how formative these, these platforms are. And you could argue that social media really is like the modern day pleasure island. I mean, it gives you that dopamine hit that you crave, you know? while it forms you into the likeness of whatever the algorithm throws your way. 
Those algorithms are crazy, man. We're being formed by them. Whether we want, whether we recognize it or not, whether we choose to admit it or not, it forms us. So seriously, if you have older kids, please watch that with them because it's so helpful to just show like the ways with which we are susceptible to being formed. Um, I don't know if you know this, but all of social media, even YouTube, it's curated. Like it's literally like it's, 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 it's tailored to you. The, the content that comes at you is tailored, it's curated to you. It's feeding you content to keep you using it, to keep the dopamine, the dopamine hits coming, so to keep you on the platform, right? And it, it forms you. And it's not just social media, man. Like me and Ebony kind of laugh, not laugh, but we recognize like we'll see behavior in our girls and we're like, that's so uncharacteristic. You're behaving like a donkey. Oh, you watched, you watched more TV yesterday than we thought you did. And again, I'm not, I'm not anti-TV, okay? I want to preface something. I'm not anti-necessarily, I'm not necessarily anti-internet and, you know, social media. So I don't want you to feel guilt here or shame. That's not where we're going with this. Paul doesn't say escape from the world. He says be salt and light in the world, but don't be conformed to it. You with me in this? So don't, don't, I'm not trying to demonize these things, but I'm just letting you know, I see it in my kids. I see, oh my gosh, their behavior is shifting because they're being formed by the screen. We all are, okay? Um, another thing that we're seeing in our household is Amelia is, she's in the playoffs right now for her softball team. And I think I've shared a little bit about this of how like it's been like a, whoa, this has been like a, an interesting thing for our family. One, because of the time commitment. Uh, but it really has, we've literally watched in our nine-year-old daughter's mind this like collision of cultures. Like she's not used to that culture. She's used to this culture, right? And what I mean by that culture is she's seeing things that in her current worldview are either unhealthy, unhelpful, damaging. She's also seeing things that are incredibly good and fun and wonderful. So again, I'm not... I'm not slamming youth sports. I'm a product of youth sports. It can be an incredible opportunity, so beneficial, okay? But what's been cool is it's led to some really amazing conversations with her. Recently, an adult told, literally told her, she was telling her, her teammates, you know, good job and trying to like pump them up and trying to encourage them. Because we told her, we're like, hey, um, this is your first year playing. I want you to learn. I want you to give your best. Like, I want you to learn how to play. I want you to give it your best. And we want you to like use this opportunity to really encourage your teammates. Something that's just so, an incredible opportunity with you sports is like being a part of a team and, and, and working together to accomplish something outside of just yourself or your own glory or whatever. It's like, it's such a cool thing. And so part of one, being a good teammate and having a healthy team is like, be there to like encourage them. You know, when someone, when someone's having a hard time, like, you know, just encouragement, right? And so she's been doing that. It's been so cool to watch her kind of step into that space. And recently an adult told her, hey, don't like stop telling the teammates, good job. Like, we can do so much better. Start telling them that, that, you know, we can do better. And so you can see that's just an example of, like, a clash of cultures for her where she's like, like, what? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, I, I'm, I'm approaching this with this purpose. And guys, please don't misunderstand me. 
youth sports, it can be super beneficial, right? Because it's such an incredibly formative environment. So it's like, that's an environment where you can, there can be, there can be healthy, beautiful, amazing formation takes place or really damaging formation that takes place. All right, think about it, just for Millie. Four days a week, about 12 hours a week. Talk about formation. Other than your job, do you do anything 12 hours a week? Your job and sleep and maybe eat. Do you do anything for 12 hours a week? That's a lot of time, okay? Talk about formation. And it's not just physical formation. We're spiritual beings as well. We're always being formed in whatever environment that we're in. That environment can be positive or it can be negative. Um, I know there's a bunch of coaches in the room that are coaching youth sports right now. Guys, girls, God bless you. Like the opportunity that you have is such a wonderful opportunity to form young people in really healthy, beautiful, amazing ways, recognizing that there's a culture out there that is forming them or attempting to form them in ways that turn them into a donkey like their mom and their dad. Because it's happened to all of us, right? And sadly, I mean, you can see it starting, not just starting, but you can see it playing out in the lives of young people. I don't know, but I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, I can see it happen in other people more than I can see it happening in me. Uh, And especially with like young kids, man, like far too often our culture is conforming kids to this age, to the world. It, it trains them, it conditions them that their performance defines them. That their value and their worth is based on their stats and how they compare to others. Does that sound familiar to anybody else in the room? Not just, you know, social media and those kinds of things, not just youth sports, but like just the overall social pressure on young people I felt pressure as an adolescent. Like, dude, the kids now, holy smokes. Tracy and Dorian, God bless them, like stepping into some of those spaces. The pre- and can we just be like totally real for a second? Like the pressure on young girls. Dude. The amount of pressure that's trying to form them and it's coming at them at all times to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to dress a certain way, the list goes on and on and on. It's not just young girls, it's young boys too. I'm not trying to prioritize one or the other. I, it's just so blatantly obvious for young girls. I feel like it's a little less subtle, or it's a little more subtle than for, for young boys. And this isn't new. Like This has been happening for thousands of years. It's not just unique to our generation or their generation. It's each generation. The only difference is we have like apps and screens as the conduit, as the vehicle of formation. You and I have been deformed by the world, okay? Pleasure Island has deformed us into donkeys. And Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Resist that kind of formation. Don't escape the world. Don't abandon the world. Resist the world. Do you guys know the difference between escaping and resisting? Are you tracking with me? I know it's, I'm looking around and seeing some tired eyes. That's fine. I know I'm boring, but... Resisting is different than escaping. Resist that kind of formation. All right, my next point. Formation takes place where? In the mind. In the mind. Look back at verse two in Romans. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
okay? Formation originates in your mind. It's the birthplace, okay? That's why we talk about um, the know, the be, and the do. That's why we start with the know. Because the know, be, and do, what you know, what you believe, it informs who you are and it informs how you live, your behavior. <clears throat> um, will you guys put that, let's think it's slide one. Yes, so this was our, this was our, um, our know, be, and do for an adult. We talked about this last week. I changed the header to say, this is what transformed adults, this is how they live. This is what's up, okay? The know, the be, and the do. I want you to see, like, knowing these truths, believing these realities, defining reality as, as these things, acknowledging these are true, taking them and believing them, right? It literally informs who you are. And then that informs how you live. So there's purpose here. It's not just like, oh, cool, let's, like, put together a, a cool slide that makes a little bit of sense biblically. Like, this is, this is the way of transformation, this is, being, this is the renewal of our mind that leads to a different life, okay? The know informs the be and the do. What you believe, we talked about this a lot when we were going through our series through the Gospel of John. What you believe about your life, or I'm sorry, what you believe in your life, it's like the software of your life. It determines your behavior. Your beliefs are like your software, okay? Um, go ahead and put the second one for me, Harry. So you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind or you can be conformed to the age or the world, okay? This is an example of being conformed to this age. And all I did here was I just took the opposites of the nose, just what's the opposite of those, and I put those in there. And then I put, took the Bs, and I put the opposite of those, and I put that on the list. And then the opposite of what we would do, I put the opposite of that. I'm going to give all you, I know you guys were asking for the slides from last week. We're going to put together a whole thing for you that we'll get to you as soon as we possibly can. So this is, this isn't going anywhere. But what you believe and know, it's the software of your life. And if any of you guys are old enough to remember running virus scans on your computer to identify like, you know, the virus on your computer that's like jacking everything up. You have a thousand pop-up windows and all that garbage. Like in the same way, that a virus can infect your hard drive and jack up the way the computer works. Viruses, you can put that for me one more time. I'm Harry. Uh, viruses can inf- infect your mind. And it's not just, oh, I'm believing different things. It actually affects the hardware too, which is your body and your behavior. It causes all sorts of harm. Spiritual formation, being formed into the likeness of Jesus, right? Discipleship, it's about renewing your mind. It's about scanning for viruses, right? Identifying them and replacing them with truth. Okay, I want to flesh this out some more. So you can go to the next one for me, Harry. Thanks, dude. Um, Here's what I want to do. I just took the no from the conformed to this age mind and from the transformed, right? And I just put them side to side. And so you can see here really quickly, they're just kind of the opposites of each other, right? So you have to conform to this age, you have someone who's like, dude, there's no God, like whatever. And on the other side, not only is there God, but he loves me and he loves my neighbor. And then maybe it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe there is a God, but if there is a God, he's absent. He's not, he's not involved. He's just kind of like back watching things fall apart and whatever, right? 
No, that this is why we're intentional about not just our kids, but our adults. What we want to reinforce that they, a healthy disciple, a transformed one. No, not only is like God not absent, but he's like loving and patient and kind and faithful and generous and glorious and merciful. God's character, right? Um, here's a big one. Truth is relative. You guys know what relative means? Relative means like it's not absolute. So it means that it, it, it's individually defined. That's like we tell us, you hear people use this phrase all the time. I'm just speaking my truth. As though like truth is something that's ambiguous. That's not, but that's a, that's a permeating belief in, of the world. That truth is relative. Okay? <clears throat> and then so the story of the Bible, like, dude, not only is not only is truth not something that's relative, that's ambiguous, but like this is this is this is this is the truth of reality. This is God created things. He created them perfect with intentionality and purpose. And then because of resistance and rebellion against his lordship and him being God, sin entered the world, jacked everything up, and then God made a way through it in his mercy and his grace to reconcile that fallen humanity back to himself. And the day is coming when he will literally redeem all things to the way that he intended them to be. So not only is truth not like ambiguous, it's clearly outlined for us. Reality is outlined for us in the scriptures. And then the next one, morality is relative. You see this all the time. That's why some people would go like, no, it's, I don't want to get too much into this because I know there's political overtones. But when you say, when I say morality is relative, do you know what I'm saying? What's right to you is wrong to me and, and I'm not wrong and you're not right and I'm not wrong and or I'm not right and you're not wrong because morality is something that's defined by an individual. And not only is morality not relative, but we want to reinforce that we would know like the gospel. Like, not only is, like, sin not something that's defined by one person, God is clear about what sin is, and it's ultimately a rejection of him. Not just his ways, but of him. And not only is sin a thing, it's not, you know, morality is not relative. Not only is sin a thing, but God has gone to great lengths to save us from our sin. The gospel. Right? No, I'm on my own. Like, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Like, I know I'm on my own in life. That's, a, that, that's, why you see so, that's why you see people that are so blown away by simple, timeless community. They're like, oh my, I've never experienced anything like this because they've been living their life on their own, like hidden, right? How do how you combat that? Like, the family of God is like, I, not only am I not alone, I belong to an eternal spiritual family. That isn't just based on this geographical location. It's a global thing that transcends not just geography, but history. I want you to see, do you see this? Like, these are just opposite worldviews. These are opposite beliefs. The nose, right? Um, Flip over to the next one. Slide four for me, Harry. Let's jump to the B. Just comparing and contrasting the B here, right? So knowing those things are going to inform then who you are as a person, your identity. That's what we're talking about here. So in light of the things that you would know and conform to this age, being a donkey, essentially, is that I'm an orphan. Because I'm on my own. I got to do things. I got to look out for me or no one else is going to. Maybe they will, but they might be positioning themselves. So I I really am an orphan. Like, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. Versus like, I'm a beloved daughter or son. 
I know and relate to God as father. I'm not an orphan. I'm an heir. Um, the be, uh, you start to like become people's opponents and it becomes this competitive thing where it's like other people are, they're, like an, they're an opponent. They're my competition. If they get the job, that means I don't. If they succeed in life, that means I don't. If they get a spouse, that means I don't. It becomes this like scarcity. Other people are your competition. They're your opponent. Versus the people around me, I get to relate to them as brother and sister. And obviously that, that's in the context of community, community living, right? You see, I think we all probably had friends in, in, in high school in different, different, um, different stages of life where it was like, we're friends, but we're like in competition with each other and it feels really funky. That's what I'm talking about. Versus brother or sister, I get to, I get to rejoice at your success, not feel insecure by it, okay? Uh, next thing, I have to be the king or the Lord because, dude, think about it. Because truth and morality is relative. That means I define it. Other people define it as well. I, have to, I function as king. I define what's true. I have to be king or Lord versus I'm free to be a servant. I'm free to serve God in his ways and his purposes and his kingdom. I'm free to serve others and not expect or want anything from them. B, I have to be an owner. I have to be an owner versus I'm a steward. None of this belongs to me. It's all grace. I haven't earned it. There's nothing I could do to earn it. So I get to steward it. And then consumer, which is basically just like I'm constantly me focused. I'm looking for what I can get. I need to consume more versus I get to be, again, I talk an identity Identity pieces here. I get, to be, I get to live as a missionary, which literally means I'm others focused. I'm freed up to not be so consumed with project self. Are you guys seeing this? Is this making sense? Okay, flip over to the next one for me, Harry. The do. All right, this is long. I know you can't see it all. How much time do we have? Oh, we're good. We're good on time. All right, so I'm just gonna fly through this. You, if, if what you believe is transformed into the likeness of the world, who you are, or I'm sorry, if, if what you believe is conformed into the likeness of the world, then who you are will be conformed into the likeness of the world, and then what you do will be conformed into the likeness of the world. Here you go. You start to harbor bitterness instead of you can actually resolve conflict through forgiveness. The transformed person can go like, yeah, I know we have beef. Like, I know we, hurt, we sin against each other, we've hurt each other, or even just you sin against me but I can, we can work together to resolve this conflict. How? Through forgiveness. Like through genuine deep forgiveness. Right? <clears throat> uh, conformed to the world, you live an independent, self-reliant life. Versus, not only am I not like self-reliant, I'm constantly engaging with God in prayer. I depend on God all the time. Without him, I got nothing. I'm constantly dependent. That's actually, we were created to abide in the vine that is Jesus. Right? to remain in the vine. Um, the conformed side, you're forced to hide and to lie. There's like shame. Instead of, you're actually free to confess. You're free to confess all the struggles because they don't define you anymore. Jesus defines you, right? Again, what you know is you know God loves me. 
So whether you reject me or not, he, he accepts me. So I'm free to confess this because I don't need anything from you. I'm fully, I'm fully lo- known and fully loved. Idolatry, which is basically like I'm worshiping things that aren't worth worshiping. I'm, 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 ascribing the, I'm ascribing the most worth to things that aren't worth worshiping, which is they're not gods. Which you know what that means? That means you're constantly going to be let down. Because they can't bear the weight. How many of you, um, for those of you that are married in the room, just ready to get married, so excited, so much pressure on your spouse to make you happy, and then, and then uh, you get, I don't know, X amount of years in, and you're like, this person's actually not that great. <laughs> Sometimes. We idolize all sorts of things, okay? And it happens in marriage, it happens in friendship, except for my wife. <laughs> she is the only one in this room that is never, no, kidding. Um, but you know what I'm saying? We, which means if you're, if you're idolizing anything, you're going to be let down by it eventually, right? Which means you're, you're frequently let down versus your, your worship and your praise is exclusively to the only one who's worthy of it, who will never let you down, right? Let's work through some more of these. You, okay, the do, this is a big one. Um, because you're the king, you're the Lord, that means you reject other authority. You, you do. And, and which is ultimately going to mean that you're going to feel really unsafe at times. Because if you're the authority, you're going to reject other authorities. And if you're the authority, you have to make sure that you're safe. What if you're not? You're going to feel really unsafe. Versus, that's why, we, that's why for kids we say honor and obey your parents. It's ultimately honoring and obeying authority. Whereas, you're going to feel really safe if you're like, no, I'm honoring authority. It's, 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 ultimately, it's God. I'm honoring the Lord. Let's keep going. Um, you're going to have fragile relationships instead of he- uh, healthy relationships, mostly because like, if someone ticks you off, it's done. It's a fragile relationship. Um, you're going to experience a ton of greed, wanting more, instead of I'm free to give. I've been so, God's been so generous with me. I can practice generosity. You're going to curse others with your words instead of bless them and affirm them and encourage them. Um, you're going to, obviously, if you believe that God's not real or if he's really absent, you're going to reject him versus I can actually hear his voice. You're going to be um, pretty insecure, right? Because truth, if, 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 if truth is relative, it means it's constantly going to be changing. Man, that's, that's pretty annoying. That's going, to be, that's going to cause you to feel really, really insecure at times because what's true? What's, what's real? What's true? <clears throat> that's why scripture memorization is so helpful because, because the truth of God's word, if, again, this is a belief system. If God's word is true, you're not going to feel insecure because you know you have a, you have a, you have a foundation, you have an anchor for what truth is. Okay? Um, you're going to be, you're going to experience slavery to sin, which basically just means you can't say no. Like you can't stop being bitter towards your coworker. You can't stop lusting after the opposite sex or uh, more money or whatever. Lust is not just um, sexually related. It's an over desire, right? You're going to be a slavery to sin. You can't say no. We're on the flip side, a transformed life. You get to practice repentance, which is literally stopping and saying no to sin and changing your behavior and changing your mind. So what repentance means is changing your mind. So think about that. It's something that you do that's roots are back in what you know and what you believe, 
Repentance is changing of your mind and changing of your behavior. You're going to be fairly confused on the conformed piece. Because again, truth, right? If truth is this ambiguous thing, and that's why we encourage the, the doing piece of like reading the Bible. Because you, you have truth and wisdom provided to you. A couple more of these and I'll move on, guys. You're going to be fairly anxious under the conform side, under the donkey side. Whereas on the do side, you're actually going to be able to find rest for your soul, which is like true peace. This is a big one on the conform side. You're going to be a pretty fickle individual. And by fickle, I mean, I just put in parentheses chameleon. It means you're like, you're different with different people. Do you know what I'm saying? I think we've all done this at times and we've seen this done. We're like, wow, you're so different around other people. So you become incredibly fickle. And on the flip side of that, you have, it says baptism opportunity. You might be like, well, what's that mean? Baptism is literally a public display of I'm a disciple of Jesus I've been changed by. I'm a transformed person by the blood of Jesus. It's public, which means, hey, everybody, this is what I'm living for. This is who I am. When you, essentially, it's like I can no longer be fickle without being totally perceived as a hypocrite. Next. Oh, this is a big one. You're, you're unstable, which is like double-minded, <clears throat> which means uh, on the flip side, it's wrestling with doubt. You're actually able to wrestle with your doubts in healthy ways that don't cause you to be totally unstable and double-minded in your ways. And then finally, um, you'll be impulsive on the conform side, which basically just means like lacking self-control, right? And that's one of the reasons why practicing fasting on the other side is so helpful is because it literally is like, I'm not a slave to my flesh. I don't just need, I don't just need physical bread. I need the bread of life to sustain me. And to be able to even engage in two hours of fasting, you need to deny your flesh, which is self-control. Are you guys seeing this? Is this making sense? I'll get you all these slides. We'll we'll email them out here soon. All of us have been deformed. No one is off limits here. We all have. We're all broken people. We all need Jesus. We've all sinned and been sinned against. We've all spent time at Pleasure Island. Okay? And here's the cool thing, though. You can reverse engineer the do back to the no. So when you see the, the, the do on the do side of, of being conformed to the world, you know it's a result of believing something that is conformed to the world instead of believing a transformed reality. Are you tracking with this idea? It's like, it's, like the, it's like the fruit shows what's happening at a root level in belief. And this is why we're so passionate about being gospel-centered. That language is kind of starting to get played out in the church because every church is gospel-centered. But what I mean by gospel-centered is that everything comes back to believing the truth about who God is and what he's done through Jesus. That it impacts every single area of your life. It's not just like, cool, I know that, now let me move on to the be and the do. It's like, no, 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 no. That's going to literally determine your be and your do. Everything comes back to the gospel of Jesus. And we're centered on that as people. We're centered on that in our careers. We're centered on that in our parenting. We're centered on that in our marriages and in our friendships and in every area of life because the do and the be stem from the know. All right. Will you throw up slide six for me, Harry? Uh, I want to call the band up. If you are on the ministry team, you can maybe start to make your way to the back. I'm going to close in just a moment. You guys okay? You with me? Um.
I'm not good at PowerPoint. And I don't like doing PowerPoint yet. Two weeks in a row, I've done more PowerPoint for you lovely people than I've done in a long time because I love you. Okay, final point. I'll I'll close with this. Um, My final point is this. The mercies of God. It's the gospel, okay? The mercies of God have the power to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. We're talking about spiritual formation, okay? We're talking about being formed into the likeness of Jesus. To be formed in the likeness of Jesus... You need, you need the mercies of God. Um, other, than, other than Rosie, any Disneyland fans in the room? Lots of, oh, and Sienna. Yes, where are you, Sienna? <clears throat> there she is. Okay, so has anybody not been to Disneyland? Is it, don't, don't feel weird. I, I, I feel like that's not a good question to ask because if like, there's one person, you're going to feel terrible. I'm assuming for a moment that everybody in the room has been to Disneyland um, I'm looking at you going like, okay, we're good. Uh, I'm assuming that everyone has been to Disneyland, okay? Do you know like Main Street in Disneyland? Picture it in your mind. Yes, great. I want you to picture Main Street in Disneyland. And there's like a handful of different performances that will happen throughout the day, right? There's like the there's like the the, the parades and there's like the little one-off performances and then there's like the the fireworks show, and then there's like when they change the castle different colors, right? And whenever these performances are going to happen, in order to actually like watch the performance, you have to carve out a spot somewhere in and around Main Street so that you can watch the performance, right? And I've been, I've taken the girls to Disneyland a handful of times. We enjoy it as a family. It's fun. But there's been a handful of times where they've wanted to watch one of those performances. And We've tried to kind of maneuver ourselves to watch the performance, and they're young kids. They can't see. There's crowds of people, and I don't know if your experience with Disneyland has been similar to mine, where some parents are like, I don't give a rip. My kid's getting in front of your kid and all the weird stuff. And so there's been a handful of times where my kids have been like, Daddy, I can't see. I can't see. And so either we have to like get there super early, carve out the spot, kind of maneuver through the people, do what you got to do to, to have a spot where you can see the performance, or... I've had to like put them up on my shoulders so they can see. Are you with me in this? Okay. If you can't see the show, forget about being entertained by it, right? Sometimes you got to fight your way through the crowd. Sometimes you got to throw your kid on your shoulder. To be entertained by the performance, you've got to be in view of the show. Hear me to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, you have to be in view of God's mercies. You have to see them. Friends, that's the core of discipleship to Jesus. Following him, being formed into his likeness. This is what we're giving ourselves to. Men, women, children, Infants even, this is what we're doing. Can you put up slide seven? I think it's my last one, I think. Yeah, great. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what I want to do. I want to close by doing a 
I don't know, I guess a bit of an exercise, although that sounds really formal and stuffy. Um, I want to close by encountering the living God together. How about that? So here's, here's what I want to do. <clears throat> I want all of us to open ourselves up in humility, which just for a moment, look around. Everybody in the room, everybody in the room is just as broken as you are. There's no all-star Christians and there's no JV Christians. Everybody in the room is just as broken as you are, just as imperfect as you are, yet just as loved by God as you are. So here's what I want to do. I want us to open ourselves up to him for the purpose of identifying the ways that you and I are living conformed to the way of the world. There's a couple examples here. Not a couple, more than a couple, a lot. But there's more than this. Of, of, of specific ways where each of us are living, that's the doing, right? Ways that are conformed to the way of the world. I want all of us to open our heart and literally let the spirit of the living God highlight things to you. Let him show you, let him love you. Let him lead you, let him father you. Because friends, what this is about, this is about counterformation. All of us have been deformed on Pleasure Island, we've been deformed into donkeys. God's in the, in, the, he's in the, he's in the process of transforming us. How? Through the renewal of our minds. It's a counter formation. We want to be intentional about our formation. We want to be formed more into the likeness of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. So you can, think, you can use spiritual warfare language if you want. It's actually totally applicable and appropriate. Counter formation. But here's what I want you to do. I want us to pause for a moment. I want us, if you want to look at that list, you can. And I want us to literally, like, let the Spirit of God highlight areas in your heart and in your mind where your do falls into the category of conform to the way of the world. And I don't want to stop there. That's just the first step. The next step is to allow the mercies of God to transform what you believe. Reverse engineer it. Think about it. If I'm insecure, it's because I'm not believing I'm a, son, I'm a daughter or a son. If I did believe I was a daughter or a son, I wouldn't feel insecure. If I believe that Jesus, is, Jesus loves us, me and you, if I actually believe that, dude, I wouldn't harbor bitterness in my heart. I wouldn't have fragile relationships. I wouldn't be so anxious. Like, are you seeing this? This is what I want us to give ourselves over to, each person. And let me just remind you, friends, God is rich in mercy. He's got more mercy for you than you could ever use up. He's got compassion for you in your struggles and he cares. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just close our eyes? Just for the sake of some of you are tired, you can nod off, that's fine. Others of you, just to be able to focus and hear the voice of the Lord, man. You know what, you know what God sounds like? His voice sounds like? Do you know what it sounds like? It sounds a lot like you transformed. His voice sounds like your thoughts transformed. Why don't you listen for just a bit? 
but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. That's a transformation even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Stay where you're at. Do your do what you're doing now, everybody. And Ben, we just minister to us, like sing over us. Um, and eventually, people will be ready to praise. The Spirit will speak. And let's just let's let let's let the Spirit of God lead us the next I don't know 15 minutes. I love you guys. Enjoy Him. Listen. Open your heart. to us, your kindness to us. Thank you that all of life has lived in view of your mercies and that we get to help one another along the way. Thank you that you are rich in mercy and that your word to us is good. We get way better than we deserve. We thank you for that. We love you. In your name, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Um, this is one of those Sundays where it's like, how do I close that? It was just, there's so much good stuff. I think there's a hundred ways this could go. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to share a quick story, and I'm going to trust Jesus that he's going to help us all engage. Uh, yesterday, I came back from Puerto Rico. I was there for the week. Um, I traveled like 9,000 miles this week. Uh, it felt like a month and a week. It really did. But I was coming back, and um, if you know me, you know I like airplanes. So we're going to talk about small aircraft right now. There's this little airline called Cape Air. I've talked about it before. I preached a message on multiplication, and I love what they do, and it really, I think, illustrates how we can raise up leaders. That's a whole separate thing. But yesterday, I was on this eight-seat aircraft and they put me in the back. They were spreading out, the, distributing the weight. And I've never sat in the back before. And I'm five foot ten, which, by the way, in Puerto Rico, very tall. It's a real boost. It's a real boost for me when I go back. And then I come back here, and I'm on the plane. And they send me to the back, and I don't fit. I don't fit. It's, I'm, like, I'm like this in the back. And I've been on these airplanes before multiple times. And for the first time in my life, I was like, this is a coffin. This is not an airplane. I'm going to die here. <laughs> this irrational fear just swept over me. 
I started like hyperventilating. I also had a you had to wear the masks, and so I was like, it's it's a hundred and eight degrees outside. It's a hundred and forty inside the plane. You can't roll down a window. It's an unfortunate reality with airplanes. And I had to wear a mask, so I was like, I couldn't breathe. I, I had a panic attack in the back of the plane, and um, the guy in front of me had a service dog. I was like, I need one of those. Um, an anxiety talk right now. Um, anyway. So I'm sitting there, I'm in the back, and I, literally, I look over and I see the door. They did a very, very quick safety briefing. So I kind of like, I think I can open this. Um, and I was thinking about getting out, like legitimately. I was going to get out of the plane. I was like, I can't do this. this is a, I'm going to die here. Totally irrational fear. But there I was. And what you, don't, you may not know is that this is like my favorite thing. Maybe in the world is to fly on this. Like I get to see my whole country where I was born, where I grew up, from 10,000 feet or 8,000 feet or whatever. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's, it takes, takes my breath away. It's rich. It's a rich experience for me. And I almost got out. So I started praying. I said, like, God, please help me. Please help me. I feel like I'm going to die in here. This feels like a, like a coffin. And within, I don't know, 30 seconds, I think my, my sanity was restored I felt peace, uh, and I was like, okay, I can, I'm going to hunch over, but I'm going to be fine back here. We'll work it out in Pilates this week, Jamie. So I got on the flight. I stayed on the flight. I didn't get out. And what ensued was 40 minutes of joy and peace, where it was just like I got to see my country from the sky gorgeous, stunning. I, don't, I have a video of it. I can't show you. It's late. I didn't even send it to the guys, but I wish I could show you the video of it. If I could figure out how to put it on Instagram, I will. Technologically challenged. I don't know how to do that. But here's my point. Why do I mention this? Obviously, I have a thing for airplanes. You know this probably by now. There's a point to this. As I was sitting here thinking about Tom's message, and I was thinking about seeing. Like, we have to see God's mercy. This is the only way. We have to see his mercy. It's the only way that we're going to live this kind of life. And I think for each of us, myself included, there's going to be moments, if we think about it as an air, like a, like a flight, there's going to be moments where we're going to want to get out of the plane. There's going to be things that, prop, that, that come up. There's fear was the, the big thing that I was thinking about. If you look at this kind of life, the slide that Tom had up and all the things, it's scary it's scary to acknowledge, to be honest about, I'm, you know what? I've been harboring bitterness for the last six months. Like, who wants to do that? It's scary to acknowledge our weakness. It's scary to acknowledge our own sinfulness. It's scary to acknowledge, I don't trust people. It's scary to acknowledge, like, I have a real problem with authority in my life. It's scary to acknowledge, like, this is what it, growing up was like for me. This is what the church has been like for me my history. This is how I've been hurt. This is, this is who I am. It's really hard. And you're all going to experience what I experienced on that airplane, that desire to jump out, to get out before the plane actually takes off. So I just want to normalize fear. Can we all just acknowledge it? Everyone's going to feel fear as we give ourselves over to this no be and do life. And the other thing I wanted to, to mention is isolation. Is when this, I can't get into all of it, but Tom, he talked about Romans 12. What comes right after this is all of the, 
There's many gifts, but one body. And this is what it looks like to live the life of Christians together. It's literally like love each other without hypocrisy. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. On and on and on it goes. This doesn't happen in isolation. This actually happens together. This happens with one another. And here's one of the amazing things that happened on the flight. I went through that crazy fear. I got up. I stayed in the plane. I got up in the sky. And then it was just mercy for me. It was just rich grace, mercy. And during that flight, I was thinking of multiple people in this room. I was actually thinking about Tom. I didn't have told him this yet, but there was a point at which there's like the training pilot and then the, ca- the experienced one. And our, our landing was a little bumpy. It was really hitting that rudder hard, but we made it. And I was thinking like, oh, that's like me. We've got Tom, like I'm trying to land the plane like right now. And it's like, I got Tom right next to me. And that's us. That's so us. Tom. But the, my point is that like God's mercies and riches lead us to other people. Like it leads us to one another with gratitude and joy, not with like the other things that can characterize our relationships. All that to say, that was a long way of saying, I want to normalize the fear of getting on the plane. You're going to feel it. You're going to, you're going to want to get out. You're going to be uncomfortable. People are going to rub you the wrong way. That's family. But you need those people. I need those people. I need you. And you need me. Because if, if, if Romans 12 teaches anything, it's like this stuff gets worked out with a diverse, a diverse group of people who don't look like each other, Jews and Gentiles together in that context. Imagine what that looks like today. People who are totally different, who would otherwise never be in the same room together, learning to love and to see the mercies of God in relationships. So don't be afraid of getting hurt or disappointed. You're going to feel it, but just push through. And don't do this alone. This happens in community. This is not something that can happen in isolation. So with that said, I think as we give ourselves to those things, we will see the mercies of God together with a life of repentance, of confession lived out in front of one another. So I just want to encourage you to pray on like, God, what's the one, what's one thing that you want me to do this week? In light of that, maybe it's a conversation you need to have with somebody in this room. Maybe it's a confession of bitterness. Maybe it's Maybe it's just telling your GC, guys, I've held back these things. I didn't know how to bring them up. You don't really know me. Here's who I am. I want to experience the riches of the mercy of God with you. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to trust that the Spirit's going to give you each something to walk away with this week. Father, thank you for your mercies. Thank you that you are rich in your kindness to us. Thank you that your son Jesus died for us and was raised for us so that we can experience life as a family. Thank you that even though we experience fear and we are tempted towards isolation in this life, that you have conquered fear and you have made us interdependent as brothers and sisters in your family. Thank you for the message this morning. Thank you for the time of praise and worship. Thank you that you know how to use all of these things in our lives to help build us up into Jesus, into his likeness, to become like him. I pray that you would give each of us something to walk away with this week. And whoever needs to get prayer, I pray that they would go get prayer right now after the gathering closes up. We love you, Father, and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to go ahead and close out. Please go grab your kids if you've got kids. We'll get the website updated. I know we shared a lot of information during family time, but you can check the events page on the website for more. There's a lot happening this month. We love you. Enjoy your Sunday.